I'm so excited for these young ladies to go to Bolivia and visit that orphanage. Um, my wife and I will not be here, but when I heard about it, I said to Christian, I want to buy a $100 cup of coffee. And so what I'm super excited about is you have Venmo. So I will buy someone here a $100 cup of coffee. Please come generously, right? It's the most expensive cup of coffee I've ever bought in my life. And I'm so excited about that cup of coffee. So please come and support them next week and the week after. Uh, A couple things before we get to the text. All right. Um, First of all, there is a parenting conference. It's going to show up on the screen. Marty Mikowski is going to be at our church plant uh, June 17th and 18th. That's Risen Life Church. Um, Information is on the website for that. Marty Mikowski, you want to go to this conference. If you've got children at home, you want to go to this conference. Uh, You might have some of Marty's books on your bookshelf and you just don't know it. Uh, This guy is an accomplished author. Just Google him. You can even do that while I'm talking. The list is long. And it's not that, wow, that's impressive. It's it's the the depth, the, the categories to which he writes uh, that I just would be so excited for you to go. I think registration is $10, all right? So uh, there's just, yeah, nothing better to do June 17th and 18th. And then also just wanted to make note, last week I had the privilege to preach for Alex, Alex Bowman. I was at Crosswalk Church last week, and we had a great time. Get to report to you, Crosswalk Church is doing well, and Alex and Melinda are doing well. And just so grateful for them. And you heard earlier, Rick announced that uh, our marriage retreat, we will be partnering with them, doing a marriage retreat with them. So excited about that as well. All right. So that's a couple things. Uh, This next Sunday, Kim and I, we fly this week. I'll be preaching for Ab uh, in the Netherlands. A lot of you guys remember Ab and Marsha. Marsha, bright red hair. That's Marsha. Um... Pray for me. I've never preached in Dutch. All right, so I need, there will be an interpreter, and that's always a challenge. So please be praying for us, and then we go from there on vacation. Uh, so, but we're in Psalm 106 this morning. We are in a two-week series. Every uh, year, we take some time off of our series and do what we call summer psalms. Well. We didn't want to take too much time this year because, well, we want to stay with 1 Samuel. But we did feel it important to break away from Samuel for two Sundays to preach out of the Psalms. And specifically, we're here to preach on abortion. Okay, so everybody breathe, <clears throat> especially me. It's not an exciting thing to preach, although there are some exciting things that you will hear in the message. It's a difficult sermon titled, The Banner We Wave. Specifically, the banner, if you will, I'm thinking of like a poster, a a banner that you would wave over abortion. What is the banner that we wave? In light of the possible overturning of Roe versus Wade, our conversation has been, well, we feel like it's important to take a couple Sundays to address this topic from Scripture to help us think rightly about Scripture, not about the news, Not about the politic, but about scripture and about abortion specifically and about how we can as a church care for babies and care for moms and care for couples that are in just 
uh, extreme circumstances that they don't see a way through. Um, so that's what we're doing. Let's pause. Let's pray. We need the Lord's help. Father, we, we look to you at this point and recognize how desperate we are uh, for your help. And I just personally recognize as the one preaching this morning, I need you. I need your help. And the here this morning needs you, needs your help. It's a difficult topic. It's full of grief. It's painful. It is grievous and sad and difficult. Sometimes, Lord, I just confess in my own, own heart, sometimes I am sinfully angry. On the one end of the spectrum, on the other end of the spectrum, I am sinfully, willfully ignorant. I don't want to know. Lord, and I think my heart probably represents all of us in here on one end of the spectrum or the other. So I pray, Lord, would you come by your spirit and help us as we unpack your word, your glorious word. May we respond to the possible overturning of Roe versus Wade, not with an aura of smugness, but of humility, with a desire to help, with a recognition that the church has not handled this topic well over the years. Lord, so instruct our hearts and our souls today. Through the preaching of your word, we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Since 1973, there have been a staggering, staggering number of babies whose lives were terminated. They had no choice, no say in the matter. The child was perhaps not planned. He or she was viewed as an inconvenience. Or a mom and a dad couldn't see a way forward through the chaos. The couldn't see a f- way forward through the, I'm going to say, inconvenience. Couldn't see a way forward to keep the child. And so it was decided and a life was taken. Now, I know there are some here this morning please hear me, who have had an abortion or you have encouraged someone to perhaps have an abortion or even demanded someone to have an abortion. I want you to hear me very clearly. We are so glad that you're here. We want you to be here. Thank you for being here. We're not here to hate you. We're here to love you. And our heart's desire is how can we help you? How can we help you? You might be in the room this morning. You might be contemplating, and nobody knows it, contemplating an abortion. How can we help you? We want to be here for you, and I want you to hear that from us clearly. Banners carry a message, and they're everywhere. One banner on the same picture, one banner proclaims keep abortion legal. Same picture, 
is another banner that says abortion is murder. Same picture. One banner says my body, my choice. The other banner says repent or perish. Everyone has a banner. What I want to ask us this morning, in your heart and in your conversation, what banner are you waving? What banner do you carry in your heart and in your conversation? Now, you might think this morning, and you might not know me, you might not know Trinity, it's understandable. You you might think that I'm trying to score political points this morning. My goal is not to preach a politic. My concern is not Republican or Democrat. Frankly, I don't care. I care about babies. I care about mommies. And so my goal isn't a political end. My goal is a biblical end. The the differences are huge. And yet they're hugely missed in our culture today and in our churches. So please don't frame my comments in red or blue. In so doing, you will miss the entire point this morning. Psalms 106 is the Old Testament cliff notes, I guess if you're Andrew, or it's the spark notes, I guess if you're in high school today, depending on your age. Either way, Psalm 106 is the summary of Old Testament Israel. It speaks of God's staggering faithfulness towards his people. And when we start to unpack this, I hope you feel that. I hope you see that. I hope you see, wow, God's faithfulness is mind-blowing, staggering here in Psalm 106. And that takes place in the midst of Israel's staggering unfaithfulness. It's a microcosm of the entire Bible, Psalm 106. It's really a microcosm of human history. It's really a microcosm of your life and my life. God's staggering faithfulness, our staggering unfaithfulness. So let's dive in. The first banner we wave is a praise and a plea. A praise and a plea. Psalm 106 begins with a praise and then it turns into a plea. Psalms 106 ends in verse 47 with a plea and then with a praise, all right? So that's the bookends to the psalm. That's not accidental, that's intentional. Begins with praise, moves to prayer, ends with prayer, moves to praise. What's in the middle? Well, we'll unpack that next, but look at verse one. Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Once you see the content of 106, You'll see why this is a praise be to God, our God is good moment. Because of the staggering unfaithfulness of Israel that's going to unpack. You've already looked and you're going, wow, is he going to read all of this? This is a long chapter because sin is long in Psalm 106. There's a lot here. And so the psalmist begins in light of our sinfulness, praise be to God. And then he tells us why, for he is is good and he tells us more for 
His steadfast love endures forever. Who can utter, verse 2, the mighty deeds of the Lord? Meaning, who's, who's got language for this? I like to say we run out of words to exclaim the glories of God. The human language is limited. That's, that's, that's verse 2. Who can utter the mighty deeds of the Lord or declare all his praise? The answer is no one. Blessed are they who observe justice, who do righteousness at all times. Remember me. Here's the plea. Here's the prayer. Remember me, O Lord, when you show favor to your people. Help me when you save them, that I may look upon the prosperity of your chosen one, that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory with your inheritance. Go to the end of the chapter. Let's read. Here's the, here's the end. Here's the end bookend. It begins with the plea, the prayer. Save us, O Lord, our God. Again, it's in light of the, 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 what's in the middle. That he prays and gather us from among the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Here's the praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. And let all the people say amen. Praise the Lord. End of chapter. So the first banner we wave is a praise to our God and a plea. Save us, O God. Praise be to God and save us, O God. Number two, the banner being waved that we would prefer to ignore is everything else in the chapter. This banner is not being waved by us. It's being waved at us. Okay? It's the banner of Israel's record of wrongs against a holy God. Verse number six. Both we and our fathers have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedness. And I appreciate verse number six in in that the original writer of the psalm isn't saying those guys. He is saying those guys, but he's also saying we guys, us and our ancestors, our history is is a record of wrongs, of sin against the Lord. That should be on our lips as well. Us and our past. Us and our history. Us and our ancestors. And so verse 6 all the way to what? 46 is the banner that waves in our face. Let me just highlight a little bit of this. And I think different points will be jumping up on the screen. Verse 7. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous work. Now, please let us consider what's being said here. Don't just mindlessly take this. They didn't consider in Egypt God's wondrous works. It goes on. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled. So they didn't consider. They didn't remember. But instead, they rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. Verse 13 and 14. They soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel. Right? Just rushed on. Ever done that? (laughs) Are we doing that? 
But they had a wanton craving in the wilderness and put God to the test in the desert. A wanton craving. This is this lustful desire. They were not content in the, in, the, in the wilderness. Verse 16, they were jealous. Verse 19, they made a calf in Horeb, worshipped a metal image. It was idolatry. Verse 20, they exchanged the glory of God. Now l- listen to the exchange. What will they exchange God's glory for? And listen how the psalmist puts it. Verse 20. For the image of an ox that eats grass. It definitely recalls to us, Romans 1 and 2, where you're exchanging the glory of God for a lie. We see it here in the Old Testament. Verse 21, they forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt. Verse 24 and 25, they despised the pleasant land. Meaning they're despising God's provision. They have no faith in his promise. God's promised. Yeah, but we can't trust the Lord to be faithful to his promise. So they have no faith in the promise. They murmured in their tents. They did not obey the voice of the Lord. It goes on. Verse 28. Then they yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor and ate sacrifice offered to the dead. It's just a picture. They have bound themselves together with darkness. It goes on. It gets worse. Verse 34, 36, they mixed with nations, learned to do as they did, meaning worldliness and idolatry. Let's accept the the other peoples, the other nations in their culture and lifestyle. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. And it gets worse. (coughs) Excuse me. Read with me verse 37. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. They poured out innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. Thus they became unclean by their acts and played the whore in their deeds. This church is the culmination of a culture of a people that rejects God. How in the world did they get here? They would have never imagined that they would get there. That sin would drive them to this place. Hear me. We play around with sin. We never think we'll get there. They are sacrificing their children. This is not figurative language. A sacrifice, of course, was usually a sheep or a dove, an animal that would be slaughtered. Its blood was sprinkled on the altar to atone for the sin of the people. Why? Because sin demands death, Old Testament and New Testament. Sin must be atoned for. Well, here, the people have rejected the sheep as an offering offered to the Lord and they are instead slaughtering their children to a false god. How in the world do we get there? 
The text says that they poured out their blood to the idols of Canaan. So they're offering the blood of their children to false gods. And we're told this is innocent blood being sacrificed. Innocent meaning the child has done nothing worthy of a death sentence that they received. How could this, the people of God, become so numb to the horror of what's going on? And yet this is where culture was, and it was accepted. Lastly, it says they became unclean and played the whore in their deeds. Meaning, in the Old Testament, God was seen as the husband. And Israel is the bride. Israel has rejected her husband. Turned to idolatry. Child sacrifice. Turned to a new husband. You reject your husband who is God and you whore yourself by attaching yourself to false gods to what your new husband, you're, you're attaching yourself to that new husband as to say, this is now my safety, my security, my provision. That's why the Bible uses the graphic language of they hoard themselves in their deeds. Well, verses 37 through 39 is the culmination of their rebellion and their absolute rejection of their husband who is God, who provides, who is their security, who is their comfort, and on and on and on. They are actually killing their children in a worship of sacrifice to a false god. This, of course, does not make it into the children's Bible, nor it should picture Bible. Too graphic for the children. But hear me, we need to see this. Scripture includes it so that we would look at it in the eye. It's the banner being held in front of us that we would rather ignore. Well, what does that have to do with abortion? Well, let's tick through this just a little bit. In verse 37, they sacrifice their sons and daughters. Sacrifice is when we sacrifice, we give up something that we value. That's why it's called a sacrifice, right? If I gave you a dollar, it's not a sacrifice. If I gave you $10,000, that's a sacrifice, right? They're sacrificing their children. They're taking something of great value and in that value offering to the false God, they're saying of this valuable thing, we sacrifice it to you, false God, that we might make an exchange, that that we might gain provision. You're the false husband. we, We might gain the security and the safety. From an idol made of hands. This morning it's quiet in here and it's appropriate. 
Abortion does not consciously seek to gain from a false god. It's not consciously seeking to do so. And yet, hear me, it does just that. The God of abortion. The God that a child is being sacrificed to, something of value is being sacrificed. The God abortion serves, hear me, is oneself. The God of abortion is self. It's the banner that's waved. Proudly. I will sacrifice my baby, which is of great value, so that I can gain for me. It's the stark reality. The hope of abortion is that I might gain something better for me. That I might gain a better life for me, or a better career for me, or a better future for me. Abortion is about me. That's why my body, my choice. It's about myself. It says, I am God over myself, and I am God over this baby. And I will sacrifice this life that has incredible value because it's worth it for what I will gain for me. There's a lot of similarities to Psalm 106. How did we get here? And that's the banner that's being waved over us by culture. I reject God I reject his opinion over the matter because I am what matters here, not him, not you, not society, and not the baby. Abortion is also a sacrifice of the family. In verse 37, it doesn't just say that they sacrifice children in general, but it says they sacrifice their sons and their daughters specifically. Children that belong to a family. In verse 38, it says they sacrificed innocent blood. That is abortion. Because the child that they sacrificed was not deserving of a death penalty. They were children. They were young. They were small. They were weak. They were at the mercy of those who were there to be a protection for them. Those who were to protect them are now the ones that are doing harm to them. Babies in the womb are being sacrificed to the idols of convenience and comfort and career and shame and the idol of reputation or the idol of even beauty or the idol of it's my life. It's an unthinkable evil. And church, we can't turn a blind eye to what it is. We need that banner waving in our face. But we also do hold a banner of our own. What banner do we wave? The banner we wave is the blood of Christ. Hopefully, prayerfully, 
as weighty as this topic is, there may be some amens. They'd be appropriate in point number three. If there's any this morning, it would be here. Because the ultimate point of Psalm 106 is not to shock us and awe us in the, the, the length that humanity will go to sin. It does that. But that's not the ultimate point of Psalm 106. Hear me. The point, the ultimate point of Psalm 106 is to shock us and awe us at the length that God will go to bring forgiveness to sinful humanity. There is a banner and is held throughout the psalm of God's mercy to sinful man and women. Look again, back verse number seven. I hope you have your Bibles. I hope you can put your eyes to the page and mark it and see, the, see what God's doing here. The, the radicalness of their sin and the radicalness of God's mercy in the face of sin. It's the banner we wave. Our fathers, verse 7, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. What's God going to do in face of such evil? Yet he saved them for his name's sake that he might make known his mighty power. He rebuked the Red Sea and it became dry and he led them through the deep as though a desert, as through a desert. So he saved them from the hand of the foe and redeemed them from the power of the enemy. What language the psalmist is using. Do you think, you know our view of the Old Testament. It's all pointing. It's all a pointer. Words of redemption here. Oh, we've got more. Don't, don't, don't let me just stop here, Tim. Don't stop yourself. But verse 13, but they soon forgot his work. So here we are. Here's, the, just, here's humanity, a microcosm of the humanity, history of humanity, history of our own hearts. But they soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel. But they had a wanton craving in the wilderness and put God to the test in the desert. He gave them what they asked, but sent a wasting disease among them. When men in the camp were jealous of of Moses and Aaron, the Holy One of the Lord, the earth opened up and swallowed Dathan and covered the company of uh, Abiram. Fire also broke out of their company. The flame burned up the wicked. They made a calf in Horeb and worshipped a metal image. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. Forgot all of it. Therefore, he said he would destroy them. Had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to turn away his wrath from destroying him. Praise be to God, not for Moses, but Jesus Christ came and stood in the breach before us to turn away his wrath away from us and upon his son to save us. It's the banner we wave in the face of abortion. There's more. 
Verse 24, then they despised the pleasant land, having no faith in his promise. They murmured in their tents, didn't obey the voice uh, of the Lord. Therefore, he raised his hand, swore to them that he would make them fall in the wilderness and would make their offspring fall among the nations, scattering them among the lands. Then they yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor and ate sacrifices offered to the dead. They provoked the Lord to anger with their deeds and plague broke out among them. Then Phinehas stood up and intervened. And the plague was stayed, and that was counted to him as righteousness from generation to generation forever. It's a picture. It's a pointer. Christ will come, and he will intervene, and the plague of sin and death will be stayed in your life. And your faith in Jesus Christ will be counted to you as righteousness. Verse 32, then they angered him at the waters of Meribah. And it went ill with Moses on their account, for they made his spirit bitter, and he spoke rashly with lips. They did not destroy the peoples as the Lord commanded them, but they mixed with the nations and learned to do as they did. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. They poured out innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with blood. Thus they became unclean by their acts and played the whore in their deeds. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people, and he abhorred his heritage. He gave them into the hand of the nation so that those who hated them ruled over them. Their enemies oppressed them, and they were brought into subjection under their power. Many times he delivered, but they were rebellious in their purposes and were brought low through their iniquity 44 nevertheless he looked upon their distress when he heard their cry for their sake he remembered his covenant and relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love he caused them to be pitied by all those who held them to be captive Praise be to God for the nevertheless moment in your life and in my life, church. It's the banner we wave over abortion. The banner that we hold is the cross of Christ. Again, see the psalmist looking at this, just holding our face in front of a picture, a graphic picture is being described. Feel the strength of language, of judgment, so you can see the banner over this verse and over abortion today. I don't like considering abortion. I don't like preaching on abortion. I don't like pictures that I've seen. I don't like knowing about the, de- the details of the procedures of abortion. I don't like knowing that all the body parts are spread out and separated to ensure that all parts are accounted for. I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like saying what I just said. But I need to contemplate it. And we need to contemplate it because I need to be moved by it. It's what the psalmist is doing. He gives us a graphic picture of what's going on here. He wants us to look the picture in the eyes and feel the strength of the language that the picture brings that's being painted. And it's horrific like abortion. John Piper graphically and intentionally says this. If you were made to watch a doctor pull off the little baby's legs and arms one by one and place them on the table like a dentist removing cotton from your mouth, 
if all Americans were made to see what it really is, the pro-life goal of abortion being unthinkable, not just illegal, would be much nearer. It's horrific. But as horrific as it is, please hear me. There is another horrific picture. We've become numb, I think, too easily, too often to what abortion is. But I think we also become numb to another horrific picture. It's the banner we wave. It's the cross of Christ. Horrific picture. The Son of God slain. Blood. Sacrifice. The Father turns his face away. The Son of, son of God crucified for sinners who sacrificed their babies. to the idols who abort their babies. And while I can't say I've done that, I've done plenty. You've done plenty. The extent of our sin is not so small. It doesn't pale in comparison. It's comparable. So comparable. That Christ died for our sin. Do not be numb to the sin of abortion and do not be numb to the Father's own sacrificing of his son, child, on the cross. So the banner that's being waved in Psalm 106 and being waved this morning over each of our lives It's not just the in-between material. That's why it begins and ends with praise be to God. The banner being waved over our lives is the cross of Christ. What a Savior we serve. How do we wave this banner of Christ? Well, one, we must grow in our understanding of the gospel. Be stunned. Christ died for the sin of abortion. Christ was sacrificed by the Father for our sins. While I pray for the end of Roe versus Wade, please hear me. Realize as we pray, legislation will not change a single heart. Do we want legislation? Yes. Do we pray? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. But hear me. It will not change a heart. It's not intended to. It's not a replacement for Jesus. We need Jesus invading hearts. If you're here this morning and you've had an abortion, 
please hear me. I want you to know the love of Christ over you. It's the banner that's being waved before you this morning through the preaching of his word, the forgiveness of sins, all sins. We think, oh no, my sins are too much. No, your your Savior is too small in your eyes. No, the Savior rules and reigns over all sin. Forgiveness of sin is available to you. Will you repent and put your trust, your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins? Trinity, the gospel instructs us to humility rather than smug self-righteousness. This is what I'm thinking. I'm no different than the next sinner. I'm capable of any and all sin. But by God's mercy, he has saved me and he has saved you. Not because of me, not because of you, not because of my righteousness, but because of the lavish, extreme, extravagant grace of God that we see here in the text. Trinity, rise above the self-righteousness and care. Care, care for young ladies, care for young men who are confused and feeling trapped and feel utterly hopeless and can't see a way through it. Put off self-righteousness and pray that we might see ladies and girls and couples who come to Trinity and find forgiveness through the banner that we wave, the cross of Jesus Christ. Number two, we must be deliberate in our gospel-centered home building. I just want to speak to us as moms and dads for a moment this morning. Be deliberate about the gospel in your home. Mentioned earlier, what a great opportunity. You go to this conference, this parenting conference coming up here in a few weeks. You're going to hear gospel-centered parenting. I know that. I know that you will. Our marriage conference that just got announced, it's called Building a Christ-Centered Marriage. We must be deliberate in our homes. Number three, we must expand our view of what it means to be pro-life. To be pro-life, church, is to be more than anti-abortion. We're trying to say this. We're we're trying to say this often. Hear me. To be pro-life is more than to be anti-abortion. Let me ask you, are you pro-life? I'm not asking you if you're anti-abortion. I'm asking you, are you pro-life? I know most of us are anti-abortion. Be asking yourself, am I pro-life? What does it mean for us to be pro-life? Well, if Roe versus Wade is reversed, know this. Legislation is needed. The church needs to step up her game. We're not doing some great job. Consider how in the coming days you might have opportunities to care for a woman who's considering abortion. Consider how the Lord might call you to foster children. Consider how the Lord might call you to adopt children. It's what it means to be pro-life. It's so much more than saying, I'm opposed to abortion. It's that. It's so much more than that. Consider how you might serve at a pregnancy center. What are we going to do? Where are we going to go from here? Well, I end where we started with the bookends. 
in the face of such unthinkable sin is these just glorious moments of praise be to God because of the banner that's being waved before us. There's a groaning in verse 47. Save us, O Lord our God. That's our plea. God, would you save us? Would you save our land? We are doing what is unthinkable and we're numb to it. That we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your, in your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. And let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. That's the end of a horrific psalm. And yet it's filled with glory because of Jesus, because of the Savior that he is. John Piper says, flying over this message about above abortion is the banner of the cross of Christ. Its color is crimson because the blood of Christ takes away the sin of abortion and the sin of not caring about it. Let's stand together. I know this is a heavy, difficult, painful, grievous message. And yet at the same time, I believe we should get to the end and join with the psalmist and say, praise be to God. Praise be to God for his mercy and his grace poured out into our lives. So let's lift our voices and let's sing to our God and King.